0: Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Langston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice. It brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. Follow them at Reconditioning HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook group Reconditioning HQ Revolution and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Today, I have the esteemed group from Altus in the house. Uh, The whole um, idea of this podcast today was I wanted to bring the guys together um, to talk a little bit about the genesis of Altus, um, what Altus is really trying to do, and uh, what it's all about. And and kind of use this podcast as a little bit of a, a moment in time for you guys to maybe celebrate what you've achieved to date and, and where you're headed and where this is going to go because you're you're obviously moving things moving the rock in the industry of human performance and, and what you guys are doing is, is being noticed. So I'll start by uh, going around the table. We've got um, Stu McMillan in the house, Kevin Tyler, Andreas Bem, Nick Ward, uh, the amazing Dan Paff and Jazz Ranwana is going uh, to be here shortly. He's just trying to get his Zoom updated. Um, I'm going to defer to Stu immediately just to tell us, uh, the audience, a little bit about the Jenna. Of Altus. What what is Altus? W- where did it come from and how did it come to be?
1: Uh, thank you, Scotty. Thanks for having us on. Um, pleasure to be back again. This is uh, it's become I'm becoming a regular here, so it's uh, it's been fun, man. Um, <laughs> so it, it, I guess it started back in 08 with our founder John Godina, who uh, was coming, I guess 04, I guess. So he was coming to the end of his own competitive career as a thrower and was starting to think about what he wanted to do post career and kind of looking around the world, especially in the U.S., he saw a bit of a gap in elite throws education as well as, um, you know, he wanted to transition into being a coach himself. So he started this uh, company called the World Throw Center uh, leading up to the 2008 games, I believe. I think maybe he started that in 06 or 07. And, um, you know, with with the with the objective there of um, educating throws coaches across the U.S., as well as coaching a few elite throwers himself when he started when he retired. So from 08 to 12, that's what John was doing. And I know that he's his vision, his long term vision for the World Throw Center is actually to open up into the other event groups uh, across track and field. So in uh, 2011, 2012, just coming to the end of the London Games, he started to have conversations with various people uh, in the profession. Uh, myself being one, Andreas being one, Dan being another, and uh, that sort of was the you know the, the genesis of the world what became the World Athletic Center, which uh, started in the I guess the, the spring of 2013. And I think actually Andreas was officially on board prior to myself. Uh, Dan and myself, I think came on board about the same time in March or April of 2013. And uh, Andreas, I don't know if you want to kick off because I think you actually had conversations with John prior to that, and then I'll, um, you know, I'll come back in and and, and, uh, get my side of it. Yeah, correct, Stu. So um, John
2: actually, when I was, at the University of Texas A&M, he came out um, and we helped uh, coach a group of Chinese athletes that he referred to us. And uh, so this is kind of how a dialogue started between him and I, and he came back out again to kind of recruit me. And I agreed to kind of join the World Athletic Center at that time, I think. Um, Between 2000, end of 2012 and 2013, um, but said that I would not officially join t- uh, unless I could complete my season uh, at my, m- the current place that I was at, which just made the most sense. It was hard to, to uproot everything mid-season and move um, to Phoenix, so that's really how that began. And then after that, um, you know, he started. He brought uh, you on. He brought Dan on. And it kind of grew from there. At that point, it was it was just John, myself, and another assistant that he initially, you know, kind of agreed to go become World Athletic Center beyond what the World Throw Center had become. And he said he, that he was still looking and bringing on world, more world-class staff. And... Um, yeah, that's really the the genesis of how it, how it happened from from my end and my perspective.
0: What created the Scott, you know, I, well? I know you're gonna you're gonna pivot on this, but I'm just interested. What created the faith in in both your, yourself, Andreas, to you, to, and then Dan to to believe that this was something that was actually doable?
2: Well, I can only speak from my perspective as a at that time young coach. Um, you know. The project in and of itself was interesting. And then once I knew that Dan and Stu were coming on board, I had no idea if this was going to work at all. I figured this might be because I knew from various other coaches who tried startup companies that... Oftentimes, they they began really exciting and they had a lot of momentum and then fizzled out and crumbled on the back end of things within a year or two. So I had no idea, nor did I have any expectation that this would necessarily work. But I felt like at my stage in my career, I was willing to take a chance. And that I knew that because Dan and Stu were there, at the very least, I was going to be a better coach for giving this a shot. So that was my rationale for attempting this.
1: Yeah, same, same from me, Andreas. Um, you know, I had, a, I, I'd been coming down to Phoenix for a few years, actually, to help a friend of mine here who has a gym. And, you know, I'd been, been coming here for a decade prior to even meeting John. And um, actually, while I was here, I was working with a couple of athletes that Dan was coaching, uh, Steve Hooker, Steve Lewis and Brad Walker. So three athletes, actually. And they had met John and Dina and, and John and they they basically said, you, get, you guys need to have a conversation. So I remember going and having dinner with John and being impressed uh, with the vision but that wasn't enough for me as it wasn't probably enough for andreas but uh, what was enough was andreas was already on on board uh, i think he was talking to dan at the time about dan becoming on board and that was enough i mean if it was there's an opportunity here to to work in track and field to bring, you know, a certain level of, of, or with the objective of to bring a certain level of professionalism to this sport and being involved in, in the startup of a, a young company with Andreas and with Dan, I mean, it was a no-brainer for me, absolutely no-brainer, especially when I spent the last three years living in London in the rain and the previous 28 years in the snow in Calgary to come here to phoenix and, and build something pretty cool with uh, some really cool people it was a great opportunity i don't well, know if that, that was, that's that similar to you dan or
0: yeah that allows me to sort of flow into dan's viewpoint because i'm interested with the history that you have and all the things that you've done why would something this kind of startup thing um be something you would you would gravitate towards at this point in your career our sponsor reconditioninghq.com is going virtual the reconditioning level one has been turned into a complete online experience and all the time tested systems and processes are now available to you in 20 hours of online video modules and two virtual zoom sessions reconditioning is a very powerful language and system of practice that brings the worlds of therapy and performance together in one complete package and helps you deliver the most powerful injury and performance solutions to your clients check them out at reconditioninghq.com today and join the reconditioning revolution
3: well when John initially approached me, I, I knew John through Susie Powell. she was an American record holder in the discus and they were UCLA alums and Susie said John was a good guy and I knew John loosely through circuit. Uh, but I knew his dad Bill a lot better through coaching and education. And so a few calls, uh, like Stu said, we just finished four years of hell in the UK with the uh, quad leading into the Olympics here. So I was pretty burnt out. John said, well, let's meet. I said, John, I just need six months to regroup and uh, reorganize. and I've got a little cushion and, you know, call me in six months. Well, he just kept calling. So eventually I flew out and took a meeting and, uh, yeah, you know, I was impressed with the vision, like Stu said, you know, it was an educational uh, vision, uh, not only for coaches, but for athletes and performance staff. And I've been in a lot of startups, like Andrea said, and I've seen failure. One of the attractive things is was John wasn't locking himself into overhead. I think a lot of startups get killed because financially it just gets too deep, too fast, too early. And so John had relationships with uh, Verstegen, and AP at the time, now EXOS, and he had a relationship at a community college there to use facilities. So I thought <coughs> revenue stream, it made sense with the lack of overhead. So that was kind of the start, but uh, I, I was super hesitant, primarily because I was super burnt out from four years.
0: i like to, Stu, um, your, your thoughts. Statement to me a few weeks back where you said you know I just started out as a track and field or athletics training facility that had ex- education as a sidebar. Now it's an educational business model that has track and field as a sidebar, so to speak. But um, all all sort of concepts aside, when when does it start to shift into? There, there's, a, there's a shift between World Athletics Center and then you guys decide to call it Altus, and then there's also this formal belief system around educating and mentorship. What, where, what genesis, genesis that or created that, the education? I, I
1: think that really started with, uh, with Kevin's uh, introduction to the company in um, well, the middle of 2015 or late later in 2015. Is that right, Kevin? Is that about when you came on board? Uh, yeah,
4: August, yeah. August, twenty
1: fifteen. So it's um, you know we we had a vision. We didn't really know how to how to how to execute on the vision. To be honest with you, we had a, we had a bit of a runway that John had put together with a relationship that he had with a club in China that was sort of you know we knew we had a couple of years to try to figure things out. Um, and you know, like any, like most startups, we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants a little bit, uh, trying different things. Um, You know, the, the, the one thing that we started right from day one was the apprentice coach program. So we knew that education was a big part of what we were doing. And we based that program on you know, our own history, all of our histories on this call with Dan and how we sort of learned from Dan. So I remember in, you know, in 1994, 95, when I was introduced to Dan and going down there and being one of literally hundreds every year that made the pilgrimage down to Austin or uh, Louisiana or wherever Dan was at the time. And I essentially just attached myself to Dan's hip over the course of a day, just following him around coaching. And at the end of the day, we just, you know, retire back to his, his office. Actually, he would go for a little bit of a jog. I'd be in his office going through all of his files and reading. He'd come back to the office and we'd have a chat about, you know, whether it be what was going on on the track on the day or whether it was something I was reading about. You know, once, once or twice a week, we might even go out for dinner and, and – and, and you know, continue those conversations. And that was the genesis of the ACP, the apprentice coach program, you know, an interactive sort of all encompassing opportunity for coaches to see what really happens at the, you know, the, the coalface of this sport. And so we knew that that was important to us, but we really didn't know how to take it further than that. And that was, um, you know, that was my limitations as, as uh, you know, at the time the performance director uh, it was it was you know some of John's limitations as the CEO at the time. We didn't really know how to expand upon that, so we started looking outside of who we had, you know, within a staff. And then you know Kevin and and myself and, uh, and Dan had all sort of worked together in the UK, and uh, we kept in touch and, and in contact over the you know over the few years that we've been back in the US. And I knew that Kevin maybe this might be an opportunity for Kevin. So we, John and I reached out to Kevin and he came on board, like I said, in the middle to late of 2015 and, and, and brought a lot of structure to what our objectives were going forward. So I don't know if that's an opportunity for you to sort of uh, take over there, Kevin. Yeah,
0: Kevin, I'd really like to hear and help and sort of, unpack this a little bit with all the guys is there's there's a general sort of uh, i would call it attitude in the industry of not sharing your secrets not sharing your principal methods and you guys have kind of created a A circumstance where you openly train athletes you bring people down to observe what you do at the highest levels and then you expose them to that and you share with them where does that come from that you you believe in that that methodology and that one it would be something that you could create into a a marketable and and um sellable commodity to a degree but also in in the the center of that being that you you would share your trade secrets so to speak so kind of really curious about that uh
4: to be honest i think probably most of it comes from dan i think that we've all been influenced by dan and i think that's you know always been dan's philosophy i think we also you know you know either through our experiences with him or other mentors that you know we really valued the people in our sport that were not only good coaches but also you know, shared their expertise with coaches and didn't hold anything back. And I think we're all kind of the belief that there's no real secrets. Um, so, um, it's, you know, it's how you put it together. It's how you deliver it. And we really wanted to be that catalyst that could help share information. Um, from my perspective, you know, I did three years at Nike in sports marketing until 2004 and I really enjoyed that. And I learned a lot in that environment, but I wanted to bring, um, I wanted to bring those learnings back to the sport. And that's when I had the opportunity to work at the Canadian Athletics Coaching Centre with uh, Derek Evely. And so we had been basically trying to either do free content or monetizing digital content since 2005. We started a podcast in 2005. Um, I I, I cringe to think what that would be worth now if we – actually stuck to it, you know, and done it for 15 years. Um, And then we were actually streaming um, digital video of which there was, we had a whole number of segments where Dan was involved in 2007. And I remember that our provider came back to us and they'd been at a conference in Las Vegas and we were the first organization in Canada to have the streaming platform. We had a paywall. Um, You could There was no, YouTube was just starting. There was no social media at that point. So it was all kind of email lists, get email lists to like 20,000 people and try and share content around the world. So it's kind of, you know, and I mean, all the guys of the same philosophy. I kind of believe that there was a market for this from a long time ago. When we went into the UK, um, I was largely recruited because what we had done on that front and they, they were really at the point where they were taking a big chunk of legacy money Basically, 35 million pounds from the loss of the 2005 World Championships in London and investing in coach development in the lead up to London. So, we had a big budget and we didn't have to worry about revenue and we could just play with whatever we wanted. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate to we work with some really smart guys and everyone on this, pretty much everyone on this call. Tom Crick, who's the head coach at Aspire right now, and Richard Weeder, who's the head of performance, performance director at Loughborough University, and the three of us and a big team were able to do a lot of things. So we were able to kind of like what do called, call you know like A/B test you know different products and see what was working, grow a big following. So um, you know when I, when these guys started at Altus, I went to Oklahoma. And I started doing, Coach Van Ottergen wanted to do education with the high school coaches, so we started doing education. And I think the reason I ended up at Altus was because I invited both Stu and Dan to come um, and present at the university. We started capturing the football coaches, and they were the football coaches were particularly taken with what Dan and Stu had to say through their presentation. So when they approached me, or when John started talking to me about this opportunity, I kind of already knew that, hey, there's people out there that, are interested in this and there's people out there that are interested in this beyond track and field. And, um, you know, we've always talked about from our perspective, what can we do to basically create an environment where we can support the athletes? Like we're not nearly where we want to be. You know, we want to be able to generate revenue to the point where we're able to change how the sports delivered. And while we've made some great inroads on the education side, I don't think we've necessarily done that on the athlete side yet. So we still have a ways to go on our mission.
0: Mm -hmm what um would have been sort of your learnings in creating this in, in terms of what you envisioned it to be and what it has become what have been some surprises along that pathway and what have been some disappointments along that pathway of of creating this and i, I open that up to everybody so Matrix Fitness is one of the largest commercial fitness brands in the world and one of the fastest growing in the industry. Their equipment and programs are used by athletes and coaches at all levels globally. COVID-19 has changed and will change so many things. During these uncertain times, Matrix's team of engineers have quickly put together its free home workout app and youth at home workout programs. With its launch just a couple of weeks ago, they now have first responders, pro athletes, and average folks using the guide to help them with their daily movement this is a great example of how matrix strives to be the best fitness company in the world to serve people and communities is their goal you can download their free app and see additional resources at matrix total solutions support.com that is https www.matrixfitnesssolutionssupport.com yeah
4: i'll just shortly i mean it's 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 very much a collegial approach. We all talk about it. We talk all the time about everything that we're doing. Uh, Everyone's open-minded about, uh, you know, different approaches. We'll try things. And, um, you know, it's like, you know, it's been a very iterative process. You know, we'll try things. We'll modify it. We'll try it again. We'll modify it. And like Stu said, they started the ACP already and it was tremendously successful. And, you know, in the last few years, it's been more so. So I'll leave it to the others to, to pick off now.
0: Well, go back to the the, 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 the man who everybody's pointed to, sort of as the founding father of this approach. Dan, like, what when you look at this now and you look back at the start of it, um, what what's your reaction inside you? Like, are you are you? I don't. I. I the word "proud," but are you proud of where it's gotten to? In the sense that now you've gone from you being a sole proprietor of uh, of providing this information to people who wanted to come and hang with you to something that is far far-reaching and more more expansive. Uh, how do how do you look upon this now, and what have been your learnings coming out of it? Well,
3: uh, obviously proud of the guys that are involved in the project. Uh, I, th- I think I think. Most guys, if you think about it, you're at the bar having a beer. Everybody has a stream. You know, get away from the handcuffs of federations, NGBs, politics. Run your own shop and and surround yourself horizontally with good people that are curious, open-minded, humble enough to have intelligent discussions. So that's probably been the most rewarding part of this is to see that People can come together from all over the world in every sport discipline and, and, and get value in a resource center uh, that's not handcuffed, but by the handcuffs we all fight daily in a lot of settings.
0: Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts about that from the guys in general, like uh, Andreas or Stu or Jazz Nick? Want to come in here and your feelings about where this has gotten to and what, what you've learned from it?
1: I think, you know, the, the ACP is such a great um, example, Scotty, of, of what both Dan and and Kevin were talking about there. I I remember, and I'm sure Andreas and and Dan also remember the very first ACP and it was five coaches. We didn't, we had no idea if this was going to, going to go, we, we charged, I think, uh, $450 for a coach to come and spend a week with us. And essentially, they just, you know, just watch us train over the course of the day. And we, you know, we would have lunch and sit out by the pool, you know, around a couple of tables and just have a conversation for 45 minutes. And that was it. That was the ACP. There was there was no um, no presentations, no guests. There's very little structure to it. And, you know, we iterated upon that and we t- essentially what we're trying to do is just get better at everything that we do every time we do it. So, you know, it's and that's that's still the case with the ACP. I think every ACP we do is better than the one that, that preceded it, because, you know, we take this, um, you know, this learning um very, very seriously, not just the learning the learnings of athletes whom we coach, but learnings of us as coaches and us as an organization. How can we continue to learn and grow and expand and 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 help the community in in ways in which this wasn't available to us when we were younger coaches coming up. So it's you know we continue that that's those those things continue to be a big part of the conversations that we have. You know, almost daily when we're when we're actually get to when we have the opportunity to get together in the building um, a little bit less so now. But it's, um, you know, just that iterative approach of trying to improve upon us as all individual coaches, as well as us as an organization to try to meet the demands of, of like we said, you know, what wasn't available to us as younger coaches.
0: I think one of the foundations of why some people don't want to share is because they don't want to have to actually stand up to the scrutiny of uh, people coming and looking at what they do and asking them questions about it. So how has answering questions about what you do helped you grow? I would start, I'm going to start with Andreas on this one. And then if there's any other comments on it, but you you know, having to stand and and actually coach and have somebody looking over your shoulder and then asking you, why do you do that? Um, that, I think, for some coaches is an intimidating concept. And how have you overcome that or not?
2: Well, it's definitely almost like having an internal audit every, every six weeks or so when we host an ACP. And it's gotten even more diverse simply by the fact that initially it started out mainly being track and field coaches. And as it evolved, um, you know, more coaches from different realms started attending these events So, obviously, the questions, the viewpoints, and the perspectives started diversifying quite a bit, which, um, you know, is super interesting from our standpoint. Because, again, like we welcome the scrutiny and the questions simply because we know that it forces us to reevaluate what we're doing. And it might, the question might come from a completely different lens than what we're used to and force us to think outside of the kind of narrow box that all coaches tend to kind of operate in to a certain extent. So, sure, it's all obviously a little intimidating if you have some high-level professionals watching you from the sideline and then asking questions as they go along. But like I said, at the end of the day, you're helping them grow, and they're helping you kind of evolve your thought and practice as you go along. And each ACP, I've had new things to kind of evaluate um, post-event based on the questions and feedback and observations of the attendees. So sometimes I end up learning, I think I end up learning more during that week than I am able to teach them. And for that, I'm always grateful. And I really don't view that as necessarily stressful because I think coaches are lifelong learners. That's why they came to that event the ACP in the first place, and that's a mantra and philosophy that we carry with us as we continue to evolve as coaches. Here again with another
0: word from our sponsor, Zenkai Sports, the new disruptor in the performance apparel world. Zenkai uses a brand new technology that repels liquids, keeping you cooler during intense activity as the sweat evaporates naturally off your skin. This allows athletes to regulate body temperature easier and push themselves harder as we harness the power of our sweat. Sweat is our friend. Keep it on you. Zenkai Sports is also the only performance apparel company which is cotton-based. All of their gear is over 65 percent cotton and some pieces over 95 percent cotton is biodegradable feels great against our skin and is much better for our environment than synthetic based apparel please go to zenkaisports.com for more information and for 20 percent off your entire order
5: just use the discount code lym20 i think we talk about having bespoke solutions and i think a huge part of that is to to show your work as a part of a living lab almost and so much like we'll have you know attendees come and ask questions. It's not uncommon for us to bring in additional therapists to help us with certain cases that we have. And so here you have someone else trying to give you a totally different perspective. Now you could look at this in one of two ways. We could take that as a huge hit to our ego and just not want that to occur. Or again, if the whole purpose of it is to really create an environment where that athlete is able to thrive, maybe we do need a different perspective on what we're seeing, to see things to a different lens. And so I think for myself, Just professionally as a therapist, it's been an immense, immense way of of learning and just kind of piggybacking, if you will, uh, off of what other therapists are are talking about, what they're learning now. But then it also makes us, I think, better able to communicate what we're doing. Um, There might be things that seem to be questionable, and I don't mean questionable as in why are you doing it, but how is that occurring? Like, what is your thought process? And having people around you kind of makes you think out loud or work out loud, as Stu likes to say. And so I think that's been a great way to, for us to really become succinct in the message that we're trying to deliver and keep the same KPIs um, consistent across the board as well. Uh,
0: I, I think pivoting off of your comment because that gets us into a little bit into the performance therapy model. I'm kind of, I'm interested because I know that the the model and what you guys do, you know, the genesis of that to Dan's uh, points earlier was, you know, working in some of these uh, NGO or NSO type organizations where the idea of integrated practice was something that people wanted to create, but never really was creatable, so to speak. And I know you guys wanted to create that in in your space. Um, So tell me about how performance, how you get this opportunity to create it, to invent the experiment and start processing through it and then it becomes truly deliverable and now it becomes something that you're spreading the news about so to speak so how how does that in essence come together that you're actually able to make it happen make it work and then make it a deliverable in in an educational model um thoughts from Stu, and then maybe i'd like to come back to jazz because i like the fact that you um that you have a lot of deep uh, involvement in that now.
1: I mean, I think like what Dan said there, it's, it's, we're, we're not handcuffed by any NSO or NGB. We can essentially do what we like. Uh, I know all of us on this call have, have been, you know, in rooms or working with people where we've had to, where what we have done has been governed by, systems and processes and you know sometimes those systems and processes are are required and they're they're there for a reason but you know in this situation we can effectively do whatever we feel is the most appropriate means to improve the performance and the health of the athletes that we are working with and a big part of that is is what we now call the performance therapy methodology which all of us learned from Dan, again, going back into the, the mid-90s. You know, it's, it's essentially the the confluence and the congruence of, of health and performance existing on the same continuum, that in order for a coach to understand how to improve the performance of an athlete, the coach also has to understand how to improve and, and um, you know, mitigate the health of an athlete. So it's um, where Dan didn't see any break between those two roles others did and others continue to and the traditional medical model continues to see that as two separate things two separate silos you know so one you know big objective of all of us here is but you know including yourself scotty obviously over the last 20 years has to break down is has to been to break down those silos and all of us who work in performance sport work together in a pluralistic manner to you know obviously affect, positively affect the health and performance of athletes that we work with. So it's it's been, that's our objective. And then essentially it's, it's up to us as individuals and as an organization to try to come up with the best strategies to try to affect them.
0: Well, I'm interested actually, maybe Jazz, you can comment on this, but um, you guys have created in in essence, and you'll excuse me if you're an Apple or a PC guy, so to speak, but you've created sort of an Apple version of performance, you know, the performance environment where you're, it's a closed system, so to speak. You guys dictate and define how you're going to construct it and sort of the software meets the hardware, so to speak. When you have people who've come in to learn the modeling with you, how is that um, how are they finding, or how are what have been the challenges that people are, are expressing to you on if they're working more on a on a PC sort of spectrum where this is not they don't have the closed loop so to speak of how they operate, but they still have the belief in the in the paradigm of thought so to speak. So just interested in what have been your experiences that side.
5: Yeah, um, to maybe just kind of um, add on to what Stu has said, I think. The biggest challenge for a lot of these individuals, you're coming from an organization that is perhaps more multidisciplinary than it is interdisciplinary. So you'll have a lot of different professions or vocations in a, in a room, perhaps, trying to work on a similar problem. But ultimately, what they end up doing is just resorting back to a own, well, maybe a mental silo, if you will. Like if I'm a strength and conditioning coach, I'm just going to look at this from a, a physiological perspective. So I'm, I'm not going to step outside of my, my wheelhouse. To think about this problem, so my solution then will be strength and conditioning work, uh, and then you know if, if you're a therapist, well, I need to you know do my rehab, and so I'm just going to stick to that. And I think culture now has changed how things operate, where we definitely probably have moved towards a little bit more of this idea of interdisciplinary care, uh, and so people maybe are communicating a little bit more. But I also think that that reductionism, and this is what defines me as a practitioner or as a coach. Still kind of seeps into that. I think what we have done, and maybe without really expressing this, um, is yes, the, you know, the, the big rocks are, are important and they're always going to be there. But just like your floor at home, the tiles, like what's connecting those tiles together? It's a grout. Grout's made of the sand and those pebbles. And so there has to be a connection between those things. And I think with, and I call us a bunch of misfits because that's kind of what we are. We just, we never really fit within this, you know, tight kind of um, standards of, you know, NGBs or, or working within teams. And so I think that allowed us to be both um, receptive to ideas, but also being able to help connect ideas, right? So I might have an idea from a, a therapy standpoint that Stu, through a, you know, his philosophical understanding of things, might actually be able to connect that and can with that a little bit better than I could. So how do you then start to at least get people to understand that you're coming from an environment, let's just call it the NCAA system. You're clearly frustrated with the separation that you have amongst practitioners. But you yourself, are you starting to understand maybe not what you can do within your own vocation, but how can you start to connect to these other people and maybe start to learn what they're doing? We've always said that therapists are coaches and coaches are therapists. And I think that speaks volumes to what I just mentioned about, you know, the rocks and the sand that kind of fills out for it. Um, And so I think that's really where we need to start to move and get people to understand that, yeah, there might be a PC and a Mac, but ultimately you can have an app that works on both platforms. And I think it's just the connectivity between the pieces that allows that to occur. Right. And I think that that's ultimately where people need to start to move in their next uh, phases, I guess, of really dialing in integrative care.
0: Matrix Fitness produces training equipment that focuses on improving the training experience for athletes and coaches alike. With equipment that focuses on building speed, power, and explosive performance in the most efficient manner, Matrix has partnered with some of the top sporting organizations worldwide. As a global brand with local support, the Matrix Performance team assists their customers with solutions, research, and training protocols so coaches can focus on what they do best, help athletes prepare for competition, and get better. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Matrix Fitness Canada for the latest updates around the success stories that document what makes Matrix unique as an equipment manufacturer.
6: For some of us, you know, we started off as one man bands, and I think where the way the industry's moved on now, people are being recruited in, in very you know siloed positions, and it really depends on then the culture or the environment of the organisation as to you know, how well everyone does get encouraged to work together. To solve problems, and I think uh, when you uh, were a one-man band, you had no choice but to network out and speak to other people, and and be that person trying to manage that problem. So I think that that came forth then with a with a mindset of um, you know I, I, I can't do everything myself, and you're always trying to seek those environments in which you can you know you can pull on, on other people's knowledge and experience um, without necessarily a, a title being tattooed on their forehead. Telling you exactly what what they are, I was always more interested. And this was a conversation I had when I was performance director with Bob Stray A skeleton was not what your title is. What what skills and experience are you bringing? How you know what do you bring to this team? And you know, my, that was very much uh, you know, early days of the uh, I guess the oldest performance therapy philosophy. But I think one which you know, a, a embodied a lot of us from very early in our careers. And and what I which now I think people are not getting maybe in their educational pathways or in their their occupations right now they're almost missing out on that part of the genesis
0: awesome I'd like to ask all of you actually just go around the table but I'll start with Dan what what has changed what what is the evolution of yourself and both personally and professionally as a coach in having been involved in this project like how has it changed you the way you coach uh, the way you look at problem solving etc or has it
3: well, I think there's obviously shifts. Sometimes they're seismic. Sometimes they're relatively small. Um, I think anytime you incubate yourself in a healthy environment with diverse, layered, and nuanced people, you're going to change. But a lot of times, these are nudges rather than transformations. So. I don't think any of my big rocks have uh, totally changed, but how I shift those big rocks or the perspective I look at them has probably
1: shifted. Awesome, Stu. I think, as Andrea's alluded to earlier, um, the the biggest part of this is our requirement to communicate almost you know, the justification behind everything that we do, you know, whether that be through, you know, social media or through our courses or through the you know the ACPs and, and the visiting coaches asking us questions, that really forces us to understand and really synthesize everything that we know so that we can communicate it in, in, in simple ways. And that's been the biggest thing for me. Um, I, I don't necessarily know more stuff. I just can, you know, communicate what I do know in a much clearer way and uh, understand it from a multitude of different perspectives. Because as as Andrea said, we're, we're visited now by 80 percent, of the, more than 80 percent of the people that come and visit us are from outside of track and field, bringing often very different lenses to the conversations that they're having with us. So it's... Um, You know, when you're forced to look at different problems from different perspectives and through other people's eyes, it really, you know, it forces you to understand your argument that much better. So it's um, that's been the biggest change for me, because, you know, from the early days, it was just us. And we you know, I was in I I got interested in this because Dan was involved in it because Andreas was involved in it. The three of us think very similarly. So you know, the three of us can get in a room and have conversations every day for a few years, and it's see, we're not going to get very far, right? Because we, we all all think the, you know very similar things as it was. But the more that we opened up, you know, the more honest that we were with what we were doing, the more authentic that we were able to show what we were doing on a daily basis. The more we got that back from our community, and then the more that we were forced to you know, uh, be critical of our own methods. So that's, that's been the biggest thing for me is opening, you know, and expanding our own community outside of the four walls in which we exist. And and, and therefore being forced to understand our own thoughts better.
0: Kevin, how how have you, uh, sort of adapted or evolved through this, the, the delivery of this thing?
4: Um, well, I mean, I would reiterate what the guys have said so far. Um, but those aren't the only variables that that are influencing your methodology and how you're delivering your programs. I mean, uh, for instance, being Canadian and training in certain environments versus being in Britain, then all of a sudden you're in Arizona and you can pretty much do anything you want any day of the week. So all year. So how does that influence your program and how do you adapt? Um, The notion that the athletes that we're getting in here are, you know, not only international, but a large number of them are from the NCAA. And so most of them have been trained with a relatively high degree of specificity. And a lot of them are, are actually quite tired and have a quite a significant injury history when they get here. So you have to adapt to that as well. And then we have quite a few foreign athletes come in that, you know have you know i worked with I don't know, 10 or 12 chinese athletes until they departed in february because of the coronavirus this year and that's a much different culture and so i think the ability to be able to work in a very collegial environment is that we're able to um, bounce ideas off of one another and we're able to take the experiences that we have and and broaden them out exponentially because of the experiences of the entire group um, and so you just have to be open to making some of those changes, but there's also a downfall there, which is, you know, like a, a warning, which is you have to be very careful to not make too many changes too quickly. Cause that's also very easy. We've got a lot of different people coming in here, influencing us with different ideas and you can very quickly get away from your knowledge base and your strength. And all of a sudden you're operating an unknown and you know, uncharted lands, lions and you're playing with, the future of your group of athletes. So there's definitely a balance there, but if anything, I think, you know, this is, you know, most coaches, like Nick said, you generally worked in a silo, probably quite siloed before you got here. So, um, you know, having to work across across the group has has been, you know, biggest advantage here.
0: Mm. Jazz your any thoughts from your perspective on your, your personal evolution or the, process. Here again with another word from our sponsor, Zenkai Sports, the new disruptor in the performance apparel world. Zenkai uses a brand new technology that repels liquids, keeping you cooler during intense activity as the sweat evaporates naturally off your skin. This allows athletes to regulate body temperature easier and push themselves harder as we harness the power of our sweat. Sweat is our friend. Keep it on you. Zenkai Sports is also the only performance apparel company which is cotton-based. All of their gear is over 65 percent cotton and some pieces over 95 percent cotton is biodegradable feels great against our skin and is much better for our environment than synthetic based apparel please go to zenkaisports.com for more information and for 20 percent off your entire order just use the discount code lym20
5: yeah i'll quote uh, the book of the five rings from usashi he says that uh, what makes a good swordsman is not their ability to yield a weapon Right. So it's it's almost like from a therapy standpoint, it, it doesn't really matter from a clinical standpoint what you do. It's your ability to kind of think outside boxes and be able to communicate what you're doing, which is almost more important. And I think from a personal level, that has been one of the many things that I've gained from being here is just being able to communicate, uh, not only be, uh, being able to communicate with coaches, but also with the visiting therapists or visiting coaches as to what we're actually doing. So I think that piece uh, has been a vital one for, for my own personal growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and much like Kevin said, the adapting process just continues right from, from learning uh, what we've done in the past, trying not to make uh, similar mistakes kind of moving forward. Uh, and I think that has also been a, a, a really big piece in what we've been able to accomplish.
0: Andreas, your feelings in that subject?
2: So from my standpoint, I feel like it, um, you know, for me, the freedom that we have here in terms of coaching is, you know, very unique and very underappreciated to a certain extent, I think, especially from the outside. Like most coaches have to work within a set system, have to work and collaborate with other coaches, which we obviously do here as well in terms of the collaboration part but actually having the freedom to go about continuing to um, know your coaching practice whilst colleagues, the ski net, and colleagues to bounce ideas off of is immeasurable in any evolution of a coach. And I feel like I've benefited a lot from that, and that's obviously something that is still continuing and going on as we go along. I mean, other areas I personally have grown a lot is this is my first foray into being part of a team that is trying to run a standalone business. So, you know, that's something I did not come in with a lot of experience with. I'd seen a college program grow from scratch to become a powerhouse, but I'd never been part of running a business. So that's something that I'm still kind of learning and growing from. And some of the lessons I'm probably going to take from that may not even be fully formed or apparent yet. And I'd say the third one for me, uh, in spite of what Stu might say, even though I call the pyramid Dallas, the pyramids, or the inguinal line iguanas, uh, I have learned, Jazz is just shaking his head, I have learned uh, a lot in the realm of performance therapy, even if it may not be in the application, but in the theoretical realm and much deeper understanding as to how it connects to training and needs to connect to you know, training processes for you know, holistic athlete development. So I think those are three separate and yet it's still kind of integrated you know areas that i've grown with certainly a lot more lessons to come that will become apparent down the line
0: nick you're kind of the not the odd man out but you're up in tahoe as the the representative of altus in in sort of a splinter center so to speak what is what is kind of the mission that you're expressing and how are you how have you evolved in being a part of this
1: this group so to speak?
6: Thanks, Scottie. Uh, yeah, uh, I am the oddball to a certain extent, um, but this oddball, another oddball back in the mid-90s called Stuart McMillan, and uh, we kind of hit it off and, um, you know, learning vicariously about Dan Path through, through that period. And, you know, after I left Canada, I went back to the UK, you know, um, this kind of, you know, co-joined approach, I guess, that you were, you know, interested in, in how the therapy works, not just the training of the athlete, You know their well-being um, and um, you know, working more as interdisciplinary. And there used to be a, 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 an accreditation title in the British Association of Sport and Exercise Sciences once called the Interdisciplinary Sport Scientist. Um, and that was kind of where the box I put myself in. I think for my growth side, I mean, we'll get onto Tahoe in a moment, but you know, I think that the ability to kind of communicate um, you know the the, the approach that I, how I wanted to work was kind of overwhelming for a lot of people, and they kind of thought oh, I wanted to do everything, and I was trying to take over everything. And I think physical therapists often found the most threatened when you kept asking them questions. And that was the very early genesis, I think, of just trying to learn out loud. Look, I don't know everything. Having that humility to accept I don't know everything, and, and, and I, f- I feel for a lot of the younger coaches right now who. I don't think you're given room to be that way. They have to know everything now. They have to have the answer now um, rather than realising sometimes to get to the answer, you have to make mistakes. And to be in an organisation where, where it, mistakes can be tolerated uh, as long as they were thought through um, is, is really exciting. You know, the, the no-fear barrier is so high, but, you, but it's hard. You have to take some really key feedback and, you know, having just spent a week with Stuart uh, as well, you know, feedback sometimes hard to take, but it's all about helping you reach, reach higher levels. So on a personal level, I think I got, I've got a much, I've, I developed a much better approach as to how to um, uh, work with those people who are in their siloed areas, not come over as a threat, find out that we can try and work together. So I have to kind of be more questioning and asking about their environment. Um, seek to understand before being understood. And the project at Tahoe um, was not just about uh, providing a performance program, it really was embedding in with their, their orthopedic processes, their physical therapy processes, and working within a community of you know, high-level recreational people who would go and do their recreational sports at a very high level and would get hurt, but also the, the athletic approach with uh, US ski and snowboard as well. Um, to bring in the artist performance therapy approach, and what really helped with that very early on was education. Very early on, I had the foundation course at my disposal that I was able to sort of get some of the staff here engaged with. And it wasn't about me being informational; I wasn't thrusting information on them. It was they were very much part of the learning process. It wasn't just that the artist foundation course was everything you need to know. It was, hey, what do you think about this material? Is it working in your context? Where's it challenging you? What do you already know? Um, tell me what, what you think should be different about it. Um, really putting my vulnerability out there right now is that I don't understand your environment as a physical therapist in an insurance pay world, because I've come from this professional kind of sport world uh, as well. And I've also come from the UK. So really putting my vulnerabilities out there. And I think the learning out loud approach um, is really coming through a lot in, in in our courses and how we're trying, well, from the ACP as well, you know, being able to arrive and be along some coach like Dan, where you're literally hearing him think, and, you know, you're not being made to feel silly or stupid by the fact that you're asking questions. They're encouraged in that too. So that's really led to this opportunity here in Tahoe with the, the population that we have here, the staff that we've had here. And, um, you know, it's been truly successful when really shifting some of the um, silos, paradigms, one of a better word, that some of the PT staff uh, have been in here and really helped them bridge the gap and, and for us to work together around managing a lot of the issues we see uh, in our populations, um, when often they might be limited to 12 physical therapy sessions, which clearly is not, not going to be enough, right, to, to help these people develop. Um, so it's ongoing, but it's been a massive learning curve an opportunity for me to understand how to deliver this project or the philosophy in another, another environment and uh, looking forward to the next ones that I get to work in.
0: Awesome. Kevin, what's been the hardest thing about bringing them, this vision to, 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 to life, like what you guys wanted it to be. What was the hardest thing of making that happen? Yeah.
4: yeah do you want me to be really transparent? Yeah. Um, I mean, basically I came in as education director Um, working cooperatively with everybody here. I think within eight months, John made me president because we had over 100 athletes and we had no infrastructure in place. And in that period, um, we probably lost $200,000 in uncollected fees. And between that point in the spring of 16 and the end of the summer in 2017, we were uh, $800,000 in debt. So that's when the company reorganized. And, you know, so, you know, I still think about this because like we're virtually on the verge of paying all the debt off right now. But I think about not only did we venture on like almost an impossible task, which is to try and, you know, create careers for ourselves and create a, you know, a performance training environment that could influence athletes and coaches. But now we've got to do it with almost a million dollars in debt. So you know, when you ask me what the hardest part has been, our last three years has literally been focused on managing this, and we were on we were on pace to have our best financial year um, in history this year, and then obviously we're hit by COVID, and um, we directly lost six hundred thousand dollars because of the COVID virus. So, but we're proud of the fact that you know, I think. Um, some of the things that we learned over the last three years which is being frugal like everyone on this call could be making a lot more money than they are now you know and everyone believes in the mission and what we're trying to do and we've dug in and the things that we learned over the last three years helped us um, transition to this period where we're dealing with the virus and we're you know we we haven't had to lay um anyone off at this stage because of you know because directly because of the virus so and, you know, where we see, you know, some of our partners and some very big partners who are experiencing significant changes in their manpower. So um, that's been the biggest challenge. I, frankly, I think everyone was called to say the same thing. We see nothing but opportunity. Um, there's so much opportunity in this field, what we're doing. Um, we all started with the prospect that, you know, that there was things that track and field athletics could do to help inform sport and sport performance. But I think it's even larger than that. And I think some of the issues that you're discussing already and what you were discussing in the performance therapy course, that a lot of this is, um, you know, governed by leadership and leadership in different organizations. And if you, if you understand this kind of philosophy in terms of athlete development and where the athlete and the coach sit in your particular organization and, and how you best bring about results Um, then um, I think as a leader, it's incumbent upon you to understand these methodologies. And so, you know, how broad we want to get in the future will largely be, you know, um, dictated by capacity. But I think we could go a long way with this and uh, um, really, you know, try and influence the sports sector in a big way.
0: I I love the fact that you're, uh, as you call transparency, because I think, the passive listeners, sometimes, you know, in all things, um, performance, the, the impression sometimes of the brand and the space and the things that people are doing is all oh, the glitz, the glamour. And I think you guys, I know how hard you guys have worked to make this actually be what it is. And uh, I think it's good for people to hear sometimes that there's a lot under the hood that, that it takes to, to create this kind of um Environment and it's not a simple process. Um, I w- I want to stay true to the time that I asked you guys for. I want to go back to to Stu and just ask what what is your mission now? What are, where are you guys going? If you could look forward in your crystal ball in ten years from now, what do you what do you envision for Altus and what is it doing?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really good question. I, and I just want to, before I get into that, I just want to reiterate what Kevin said. It's uh, People don't understand. We are all full-time coaches. There's no one else, and, and we're running the business. There's no one on the side who runs this business for us. You know, so that's, um, you know, from asking what we've learned going back to that question Scotty I mean that's that's the biggest thing is understanding how to run a for profit business while you're doing another full time job that's <laughs> that's super challenging and it continues to be super challenging and that's why it's probably not an easy question for us to answer when you ask us that what are we going to be where do we see Altus in in 5 or 10 years well i mean we see us doing what we're doing today and doing that better and expanding upon it. I mean, I think we're pretty committed to our vision and our mission now. And it's, uh, you know, over the last three years of, of digging ourselves out of this you know, this significant amount of debt, we've had to ensure that we've done a really good job of putting in, you know, a lot of professional systems. We, we, we've made some mistakes, clearly. Uh, we'll continue to make some mistakes, but I think what we are doing, we're making smaller mistakes where we're, um, we're identifying that we're on the wrong road or a, or a mistake and path earlier in the process and can get out of that quicker. and I would hope that going forward, that we can continue doing that, we will, like I said, we'll continue to make mistakes, but if we can learn from them, move off them quickly, I don't really see us doing anything significantly different from what we're doing now. All of us love to coach. We're going to all continue to coach. We all love to coach. Other coaches, you know, so coaching education, you know, that's, you know, that's that's the biggest part about this company right now. It's going to continue to be the biggest part of the company. Hopefully we can find other opportunities, uh, more creative opportunities to reach more coaches on a global scale. You know, its uh, we've done a pretty good job of that, I think, so far. We've got to find um, more and better ways to continue doing that. But that's, that's the vision. I don't really foresee that being significantly different. We just, all of us together can just do a better job of it over the course of, uh, you know, over the course of time.
0: Well, guys, thanks for taking uh, an hour out of your day. I know you're all extremely busy and trying to accomplish this mission, and uh, I just thought it would be a really unique opportunity to sit down with the group of you and talk about how it all came together, what it's all about, and you guys are doing a tremendous job of creating a vision and doing something remarkable and um, more power to you and uh, happy to uh, uh, know all of you. So thanks for taking the time, guys.
1: Scotty, thanks for having us. Really, uh, really appreciate your time and giving us this opportunity to talk.
0: Yeah. Have a good day, guys. bye thanks, yeah.
5: thanks,
1: thanks, Scotty. Thanks, Scotty. Thanks, Scotty. Thanks for
0: joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at KingOpain and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.